The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed, them, welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Caroline. Hi, everybody. Anybody run to church this morning? Um, Thomas made a joke, but our first song was about running into the arms of Jesus. Like, come on. Brilliant. I'm not doing that uh, this morning, so I'm sure you're happy about that. Um, I'm really excited um, to... Uh, be opening God's Word again with you this morning. I think I've only preached up here once in the last five or six weeks, um, so I'm thankful to you guys for a break, thankful for um, that we have uh, a plurality of elders who can open God's Word. Um, I'm excited to, to be in Luke's Gospel again, uh, mainly because of uh, who we're looking at. And we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Uh, the entire Bible is about one person. We've been in Ezra and Nehemiah, which is said about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. But from Genesis to Revelation, it's all pointing to one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Um, our, our goal every single week, no matter where we are in this book, is to gaze upon Jesus, um, to look at who he is, look at what he's done, um, look, at, look at what he has said, look how he changes everything for us. But uh, particularly when we're in the Gospels, um, we're gazing directly at him. We're, we're looking at his actual life, 
We're looking at these conversations and these interactions he had with people along the way. We're looking at the miraculous things he's done. Um, We're investigating, if you will, why Jesus came to earth in the first place. And Jesus actually gives us uh, the reason for his coming quite a number of times. And maybe the most famous one is the title that we've given this from Luke 19 when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's, that's straight from Jesus' mouth. That's, that's the reason he came to earth. His purpose is so that he might seek and save the lost. He's after those who are lost. He, he's after those who are without hope. He's after those who are desperate. He's not after those who think they can sort themselves out. Um, he's after those who have tried everything only to realize that there are no solutions in this world that can truly help them in their dire situation. These people who, who have come to an end in themselves and in this world, and, and Jesus steps in as their only hope. And in his kindness and out of the depths of God's love for the lost, for the desperate, for the, for the lonely, for the sick, for the dying, Jesus saves. Isn't that amazing? Um, let me pray one more time and we'll look at this story. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you pursue us. And we thank you that you come for those who are without hope. You come for us when we're lost and you find us and you give us something that only you can give. Um, Holy Spirit, uh, teach us this morning, we pray. In your name, amen. Um, Luke chapter eight, hopefully you have your Bibles open. Um, we're, we're right in this middle of, se- uh, of this middle section in Luke's gospel where Uh, We're really seeing who this Jesus is. The past couple of weeks, we've seen these incredible demonstrations of his authority, uh, of the power that Jesus has. He he calms raging storms by speaking. He heals the demoniac by commanding demons to depart from them. And and in today's passage, we continue to see his his power and his authority. There's there's really two kind of main emphases that we see in the story. The first one is the, the authority and the power of Jesus, but the second emphasis is faith, personal faith in Jesus. And we see Im- impossible things happen when there is faith in Jesus. Um, it, it's not faith that is powerful, it's, it's Jesus that is powerful, right? God is powerful. However, Jesus is looking for people who will trust him. He's looking for people who will place their faith in him alone and then receive the power of God. Faith-filled contact with Jesus leads to an exchange of power. That's that's the thesis of this morning, essentially. Faith-filled contact with Jesus leads to an exchange of power. And what we're looking at is really one overarching story that blends two beautiful stories into one. Um, Firstly, you have the story of of this ruler of a synagogue, and he has a 12-year-old girl who is dying. She's at the point of death. Um, And Jesus will go to his home in order to heal this little girl. But along the way, Jesus has another interaction with this woman who has this sickness for 12 years. And In both of these stories, in both of these cases, faith in Jesus, belief, confidence in who Jesus is, is required. And verse 40 says, now when Jesus returned, uh, you'll remember last week's passage, 
Um, Jesus was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the country of the Gerasenes, and where he heals this man who is possessed by many demons. And Jesus casts out this legion of demons. And at the request of the villagers who were seized by fear, we're told, because of, of what Jesus has done, uh, Jesus gets back in the boat and he leaves them and, and he returns to the other side, to the Galilean area um, of, of the country, where um, his, his popularity is, is, is different there. It's, it's grown quite a bit. And we're told in verse 40 that this, this crowd uh, in probably the Capernaum area welcomed him, right? They, they, were, they were all waiting for him. And this, I think this is one of the best kind of written stories of Luke. He has amazing contrast and comparisons all throughout it. And, and here in the Galilean region, uh, Jesus is really well known. He's, they've, they've heard him preach. They've seen him perform many miracles. Um, you'll notice as Jesus makes his way to the cross, in many ways his popularity increases. And this crowd is, is welcoming him. This crowd is is expectantly waiting on Jesus. And, and in this crowd who are waiting on Jesus to return, we have this man called Jairus, who Luke says was the ruler of, a syn- of the synagogue. Um, think of him as, as one of the elders of the local synagogue. He has responsibility of, of arranging the services and the, and the community life there. Um, he, he would have been well known in that community. And it says, and falling at Jesus' feet, Jairus implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter who was 12 years of age and she was dying. And so that's the initial scene, right? We, we see the, the, the juxtaposition of last week's ending and this week's beginning. Uh, the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from him. This crowd welcomes him in. In particular, Jairus says, come to my home. But here's this respected community leader, Jairus, who's, who's falling at Jesus' feet. He's imploring him to come and to help his daughter. She's his only daughter. He's, he, she's, she's very sick. She's on her deathbed. She's, she's only 12 years old. And you can understand why Jairus isn't quite concerned with his reputation at this moment. He's, he's not concerned with his self-image. He, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he pleads for him to come. Jairus is uh, desperate. Um, any parent or carers in the room who have ever had a sick child will know the, the desperation that Jairus is feeling at this moment. Um, he, he's, he, he's respected. He's well-known in the community. He's probably tried everything up to this point to help his little girl. That only makes sense, right? He, he's seen all the doctors. He, he's given her their, remedy, their remedies. He's, he's given her the medicine that's available, and yet she's getting sicker and sicker. Um, Jenny and I know the, 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 the desperation, that feeling of hopelessness in this kind of situation when, when you've seen everything and, and like the, the higher-ups keep getting called in and, and things kind of keep getting worse. There's a, a desperation, a, a feeling of running out of options here. He's, he's waiting on Jesus to return. And when he sees him in desperation, he falls at the feet of Jesus. And verse 42 says, and Jesus went, and the people pressed around him. So Jesus is willing to go to see this little girl. Jesus responds to the prayer of Jairus. He, he went with Jairus. He, he's happy to go where Jairus wants him to go. And there, there's a really interesting possible connection here with um, 
It's a couple chapters ago, but it was months and months ago for us because we dipped back into this. But um, remember in chapter 7, the story of the, of the Roman centurion? Um, and w- it appears that the story here in, 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 Romans, or in, sorry, in Luke chapter 8 is probably in Capernaum. And, and Capernaum was essentially Jesus' ministry home. It's where Peter and his brother Andrew were from. So it was a bit of a home base for Jesus' ministry in the Galilee region. And, and Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. He would have been using this physical building for the synagogue that would have been built by the Roman centurion in Romans, or, or I keep saying Romans, in, in Luke chapter 7. And Luke chapter 7 says that that centurion funded the, the building of, of, the, of the synagogue in, in Capernaum. And so you, you might remember in that story that the centurion had a sick servant at his home, but he didn't implore Jesus to come to his home. He didn't even want him to come to his home, remember. He sent some friends to Jesus and, and said, tell Jesus, you don't need to even come. I know that you have the authority to heal this girl. Just say it from wherever you are and she'll be healed. And, and we're told that Jesus marveled at the faith of that man. But notice in this situation, Jesus doesn't rebuke Jairus for not saying the same thing. J- Jairus doesn't ask Jesus to, to heal his daughter from afar. He wants him to come to his, his home. He wants him to see her. He wants him to be near. And Jesus says, that's fine. I'll go. I'll, I'll do that. Even though I've proven that I don't need to do that, I'm going to do that. It's showing us that where there is faith, any at all, right, even as small as a mustard seed, Jesus responds and Jesus will go. And so he went with Jairus and the people pressed around him. And it says in verse 44 that there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone so right here, we're introduced to the secondary story, the, the interruption to the Jairus story, if you want to view it in that way. And, and Jairus, his story had a tone of desperation, didn't it? His only daughter, his, his only little girl, she's, she's so young and, and sweet and innocent. To think of all the memories that he would have had with her, all the, the dancing around and the playing, the, 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 the cuddles. But she's dying she, she's at the point of death, and she's, she's going to this horrible and dark place. But, but now we have this other character, this, this nameless woman who is in the crowd that's pressing around Jesus. And this woman is suffering from a hemorrhaging, probably a gynecological problem, right? She, she's bleeding for 12 years. Um, her condition was so bad that she had spent everything that she had, all of her living, Luke says, on doctor's. She's tried to find healing in every way, but the realm of science, as good as it is, wasn't able to, make, wasn't able to care for her. She could not be healed by anyone. So she, she has her own situation of desperation and darkness, right? And Luke's a brilliant writer, like I said, and he, he makes it obvious that there's a lot of contrast in these stories there's the contrast of the crowds on either sides of, this, of the sea. There's the contrast of, the, the, uh, of Jairus and this woman that we're meant, we're make, we're meant to make. And, but I think we're really meant to see the contrast with this woman and Jairus' daughter. Right? Both stories are told in tandem throughout the Synoptic Gospels. Both the little girl and the woman are connected with this number 12. The little girl was 12. The woman's been sick for 12 years. But there's some important contrasts. The, the little girl so far in her life 
probably didn't have many worries. She, she has a father, she has a mother that, that loved her. Uh, not many 12-year-olds worry about the finances and the home. This woman, on the other hand, had lost all of her, not only her health, but her wealth. She has spent everything on physicians, so she has been plunged into poverty. The little girl was probably the picture of innocence and purity living within her father's household. This woman, because of the nature of her condition, was considered an outcast. The Mosaic Law declared her with this discharge ceremonially unclean. And anyone who would be in, in, in touch, would, that would touch her, be in contact with her, would also become unclean. Um, the law in, Le- in Leviticus 15 says that this woman, uh, with this flow of blood, she wasn't permitted to enter into the temple for worship, nor was she permitted to be in public without making it a public de- declaration that she was unclean so that other people could, could avoid her and avoid becoming unclean themselves. The woman lived, uh, the, the little girl lived in community. She's the equivalent of a pastor's kid, right? Her father was the leader of the synagogue. She was embedded in the community. She was known. She was loved in the community. The woman, on the other hand, was isolated. She was an outcast. There, there's, there's these obvious contrasts between the two. It says, now, when the woman spent everything that she had, she could not be healed by anyone. Jesus was her only hope. So in both situations, faith would be needed. But in both situations, there were these ingredients that brought them to this place of seeking Jesus. The need for faith was evident in both stories. It's, it, it's the same for everyone in this room today. Part of, part of what, what, what drives you to Jesus is a realization of your need for Jesus. And for these parties, it was this personal tragedy inside their lives. And so they come to the Lord crying out to him for help. And the woman with the flow of blood, it says in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. This is fascinating. And to to think that she just touches the garment of Jesus and she's healed immediately. And Mark's gospel account uh, gives more detail uh, about this moment. His account says that she has this conversation within herself and she she says to herself, "If if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. So she's heard this report of Jesus And she has come to the conclusion that if if she can just touch his garment, she will be healed. We'll see in a moment, it it was her faith in Jesus that that, that healed, that that led to the healing, right? It's not that she she had faith in a magic garment, right? She didn't, it wasn't that she thought Jesus was performing these miracles by the power of some special outfit that he was wearing. No, it was that she believed that there was power inside Jesus, There's power in him, but even if she touched his garment, she would be made well. In other words, power will go through Jesus to his garments to her, and I will be made well, she says. It's a powerful thing that she believes. And she immediately experiences healing. 
Her bleeding stops. Contrast the, the 12 years of bleeding with the immediacy of her healing. It's an incredible moment for her. I realize I'm a man standing here who has no idea what the relief of this would be. Think of the relief, the, 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 this moment of healing for this woman. And look at what Jesus says in verse 44. He says, who was it that touched me? He, he stops the crowd on their way to Jairus' house and he says, who touched me? It says, when all denied it, Peter, classic Peter trying to talk a little bit of sense into Jesus. He, he says, Master, the, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. In other words, Peter says, uh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. But Jesus knows that the touch of faith has occurred. He, he knew that a, a transaction had happened. He says in verse 46, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Many people were touching Jesus, but this one was different. It's, it's not that everyone was receiving power from Jesus. It's just shooting out all over the place. No, this touch, this one was different. Power had gone out from him. Verse 47 says, When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. I think Jesus knew exactly who had touched him. He, he knew who it was that the power had left his body and entered into. You, you, you can imagine him asking these questions in this, this big crowd, who touched me? But I imagine him asking that question, but maybe making eye contact with that woman, looking right at her. He knows who touched him, and she knows that she was not hidden. She knows that he knows that she touched him. So she comes forward, and she's trembling, and she falls down before Jesus. And it says she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how he, she had immediately been healed. And for anyone familiar with their Bibles, especially this crowd would have been, um, especially Jairus himself listening into this, falling to the ground in fear and trembling is a very common result in someone who encounters the presence of God. In Genesis 17, Abram fell when God spoke to him. Joshua falls when he experiences the presence of the Lord. Ezekiel falls on his face when the glory of the Lord appears to him. Daniel falls to the ground when he encounters the glory of God. Peter, James, and John will fall to the ground when God's glory is manifested in the transfiguration of Jesus. The Apostle Paul falls to the earth when he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. In Revelation 1, John collapses at the feet of Jesus at the beginning of his vision on Patmos. And this woman falls at the feet of Jesus in deep awe at the powerful presence of God who had just healed her. And she declares there in the middle of the crowd why she had touched him and how he had immediately healed her. And think for a moment to that, that phrase that Jesus says, I perceive the power has gone out from me. 
mere contact with Jesus led to a transaction of power. And he wants to know who was it that touched him. He wants to give this woman an opportunity to give a report on what God had just done for her. And she fearfully but but bravely takes that opportunity and she declares right there what God had just done for her. Isn't that amazing? She declares why she had touched Jesus and how he had healed her. That took guts. That, That declaration, that confession of her testimony of what the Lord had done for her, that took boldness. Like even from our vantage point, it's, it's pretty clear this is a, a pretty private interaction that she's had with Jesus. Her condition was pretty personal, right? But, but especially in this cultural context, she would have had to push through the crowds to reach to Jesus, touching many people, therefore making them ceremonially unclean it would have been much easier for this woman to remain quiet and, and hold the testimony of what Jesus had done for her in her own heart privately. But she didn't. She declared it publicly. Such boldness. And after she declares this, in verse 48, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He calls her daughter. This is the only place where Jesus calls a woman daughter. What what a tender moment. After more than a decade of being pushed out of community, how special must it have been for this woman to hear Jesus call her daughter? We're we're not told how old this woman was. She she might not have been any older than Jesus was himself, but he still speaks to her as a loving father to his child. See, calling her daughter means that she's no longer pushed away. She's welcomed in. Calling her daughter means that she has a home now. She's not seen as an unclean outcast any longer. She's not seen as someone to be avoided. She's seen as someone to be loved. She's seen as a daughter. She's a family now. She's no longer in isolation. She has, a, she has a father, she has a family, and what she has found in Jesus. What incredible news. Go in peace, daughter. You can now live in wholeness. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The faith of this woman had brought her healing. Not that the power was in her belief, but the power was in her belief in Jesus. Her her trust in Jesus, her faith in Jesus had healed her. Faith-filled contact with Jesus led to an exchange of power. Don't you long for that kind of interaction with Jesus? Wouldn't you love to bring him your weaknesses? Bring him your sorrows? Bring him your sickness, bring him your addictions, and simply by touching him, be made well. Isn't there a touch of faith today? She said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. That's a bold, if I, kind of statement. The the, the danger is to to treat that statement as as a legalistic formula. It's not a formula, okay? Don't, Don't turn it into a formula. If I do this, then this will happen. And that's, 
That's not how Jesus works. He's not a vending machine, do this and be healed. Ephesians 2 makes it clear, by grace you've been saved through faith, not for your, your own works. It's a gift. His salvation is because he in his great love pursued you and brought you to life. Jesus seeks and saves the lost. But at the heart of what this woman is saying is, if I can touch him, if I can be with him, if I can get close to him by faith-filled contact with Jesus, then all will be well with me. And guess what? Jesus is inviting everyone who is weary to come to him. He's saying, come near, touch me, and you will be made well. And so even today, he gives us these these touch points, these these ways to touch him. The biggest one is prayer. We, We access his presence and his power through prayer. Also by being in his word, his spirit has breathed out this book. It's our primary way of knowing him. And also by gathering as his body. Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. His presence is made manifest in a special way when we gather. Like you can't say, I want to touch Jesus and be made well, and at the very same time, neglect prayer and the word and gathering as his body. But Jesus is after your faith. He wants you to trust him like this woman did. It was messy for her. It was incredibly risky for her. But in the end, you see nothing would stop her from reaching him. In the end, because of her faith, Jesus said, daughter, you've trusted me. You've understood that I am your only hope. And now you can enjoy the peace that only I can give. And that invitation to have faith in him is for every single person here today. It's an invitation to you every single day, maybe for the very first time, maybe for the thousandth time, to come to him, to bring him your worst. He he will not recoil from you. He will not think that you are disgusting. He will only make you well. You will not make him dirty. His power goes in reverse. He will only make you clean. He will only make you well, and he'll call you daughter or son, and he'll give you the peace that he gives. If you come to him, faith-filled contact with Jesus leads to an exchange of power. What a gift. What a wonderful moment for this woman. But look at verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So this moment, it's, it's maybe not wonderful for everyone. Imagine what Jairus could have been feeling as Jesus stands there interacting with this woman. And I'll tell you what I would have been feeling. Impatience. Anxiety, fear. I wonder if if Jairus was tempted to say to Jesus, Lord, this woman can wait. She's, She's had this for 12 years. She's probably not in immediate danger. My daughter is about to die. Can we move along? Fear must have been bubbling up as he was waiting on Jesus to be done with this woman. Fear must have been taking over his mind as his, as his mind was on his, 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 the deathbed of his daughter. 
He's only thinking of her breaths getting shallower and shallower. And upon hearing this terrible news that the girl had already died, that that they were too late, that his greatest fears were realized, Jesus turns to Jairus and he says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. You see, Jairus had faith that Jesus could heal his daughter, but his faith needed something. It needed persistence. He knew that Jesus could heal her, but he needed to trust in God's timing. There's some really good contrast and comparisons with the woman's faith and with Jairus' faith. Like, what's Jesus after? Their faith? He wants them to trust him. He wants them to believe. He's not after perfect faith at the start. He'll take any amount. Mustard seed-sized faith, that'll do. I'll take it, Jesus says. Just a little, and he'll do the rest. He'll do the perfecting of your faith if you continue to trust him. And you see him doing that for both of these people. You see, the, the woman is called to have faith that comes out of its shell. Jairus is called to have faith that hangs in there. The, the woman's faith needed bolstering. Jairus' faith needed patience and, and trust. And Jesus wants the same thing from everyone. Your faith. Belief in him. Belief that he is who he says he is. Belief that he saves. Will you trust me? That's what he's asking all of us here today. Will you trust me? He's saying, I'm here for you. I've been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. I uphold the universe with the power of my word. I'm working all things out for your good. Will you trust me? We're all different in the room here today. For, for some of you, I know life is going great. You're in a really good spot in life, and we rejoice with you. For many of you, life is hard. Life is painful. It's confusing. But to both groups of people, Jesus is after your faith. Will you trust me? Even after Jairus is giving the worst possible news he could hear, Jesus looks in his eyes and he says, don't be afraid, Jairus. Believe. He says, I know you have it in you. You've been waiting on that seashore for me to return because you believe that I can heal your daughter. Don't give up on me. Keep believing and she will be healed. Again, don't be tempted to treat Jesus' statement as a formula, and don't, don't try to fit him into your expectations, because over and over again, you see, Jesus tends to do things differently than what people expect. There's some obvious comparisons to the Lazarus story here, isn't there? And in that story, Jesus failed to meet Mary and Martha's expectations. Why didn't he come and save Lazarus right away? Why did he wait a couple days? Why did he let Lazarus die? Why, why allow those sisters to go through that, that immense grief before raising Lazarus from the dead? 
You know what the short answer? I don't know. But in both stories, Jesus is saying, will you trust me? You see, he doesn't always answer our prayers exactly when and how we want him to, but will you trust him? He's not asking you to always understand the way that he works, but he's asking you to trust him. Verse 51, when he comes to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father of this child. He told their people outside who were weeping and mourning for her, but he told the crowd, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But look at what Jesus does in verse 54. Taking, taking her by the hand, picks up her, her lifeless hand, and he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He touches her, and he, he speaks to her, and something powerful happens. He brings her to life. Wake up, darling. Someone get this girl some breakfast. I love how Jesus makes a miraculous moment into something very ordinary. She's woken up. She's probably hungry. Get her some food. That's <laughs> what Jesus does. You see, Jesus responded to the prayer, to the request of Jairus. He, he responded to his faith. Even though it was maybe a little imperfect, maybe a little impatient, even though he was filled with fear, that that faith-filled contact with Jesus, it led to an exchange of power. And the girl was raised. Verse 56, and her parents were quite understandably amazed, but he charged them not to tell anyone what happened. And I, I'll be honest, I get, always get a little confused anytime Jesus does something miraculous and he says, keep this between us. Um, but even in this scenario, it's kind of funny because outside there are people mourning this girl's death. They just laughed at Jesus. They're going to find out that she's alive. <laughs> They're going to see her walking about. They're going to know what Jesus did, that he raised her. Is Jesus saying, just let them see? They'll see the evidence of this rebirth. They'll see the evidence of this new birth in the way that this girl walks, it'll be obvious to them. I don't know, but what's obvious to us readers, as we draw to a close, is faith-filled contact with Jesus leads to an exchange of power. I don't know if you've tried to locate yourself in the story yet. We are the ones who need the power of Jesus. If, if you don't see yourself as being like one of the characters in these stories that desperately need the power of Jesus, then I'll tell you very lovingly, friend, that you are lost. But thankfully, Jesus says he's come to seek and save the lost. Let me make it clear. We are the hemorrhaging woman who, who will try everything only to realize that Jesus is her only hope. We are the dead little girl who needs to be touched by Jesus and for him to say, arise. We need him to bring us 
from death to life. We desperately need the power of Jesus. You need that for the first time and for the the Christians in the room, you need that every day. Nothing changes. Even for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, daily, you need the power of Jesus. Jesus was very clear that that would be the case. And yes, I'm going to John 15 again. I'll put it on the screen and we'll just make our way through it. One of the, the, you can give like a thesis to this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. You can give a lot of them. But one of them is Jesus is essentially saying in this conversation, you need my power. And the only way to receive his power is faith-filled contact with Jesus. And that's what's behind this metaphor of the vine and the branches. We need the power of Jesus, and to receive the power of Jesus, faith-filled contact with him is required. And in this metaphor, he is the vine, we are the branches, and even if you don't know the, the, the tiniest bit about agricultural, you'll know that branches only thrive when they're connected to the root, to, to the vine. By, by, by the, the life-giving nutrients from the vine, the branches need power from the vine. If they aren't attached to the vine, receiving power from the vine, they wither and die. And so Jesus tells his disciples to remain with him, faith-filled contact with him. And he says in verse 4, let's make our way through, he says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, that, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. It's a terrible situation. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Jesus is saying, if we do this together, he says something incredible. Ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's there's great power when you abide in me. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. That's always the goal, to, to, to stop living for your own glorification and to start living for the Father's glorification The goal isn't to, to have access to this power and to use it to get whatever we desire in life, but to use it for the Father's glory. You see, we, we become aligned with what Jesus wants, and, and we, we bear much fruit, and we prove to be his disciples. And verse nine says, he makes this incredible promise. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We are invited into God's perfect Trinitarian love, and Jesus says, remain there, Trust me, don't be afraid, only believe, abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, is how you do it. Just, Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, we become like him. We're we're invited into this Trinitarian relationship of love and obedience. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Faith-filled contact with Jesus 
means that we'll, we will be a community of love. We have this Christ-like sacrificial love for one another. Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Wow. We're going to have friendship with God. We're going to have friendship with Jesus. We no longer kind of shamefully creep up behind him to touch his garment. We are welcomed in completely. He calls us his friends. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You may have been desperate, but I was the one pursuing you. You may have thought that you were this desperate woman clawing your way towards me through this crowd, but it was actually the other way around. I was after you the whole time. I chose you, he says, and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that, here's a powerful statement again, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. Isn't this incredible? This, this invitation, this, this offer from Jesus is incredible, and I want it. When he says back in Luke chapter 8, verse 46, when this woman touches him, I perceive that power has gone out from me. I want that. I, I want to be the, the one who the power goes out of Jesus and into me. I, I desperately want our church to be a people who abide with Jesus that, that trust in Jesus, that remain with him, that, that have faith-filled contact with Jesus, and in turn, the power of Jesus flows into our church. That's why we're learning again to be a church that prays, because coming to the Lord in prayer is the primary way to have faith-filled contact with Jesus and to release his power. We access the spirit of Jesus and release his power through prayer. And by gathering together in his name and by opening his word and being shaped by his spirit and becoming this community of love. But Jesus says, you will only become the community, the the people that I want you to be if you receive my power. And the only way you'll receive my power is if you realize that you are a branch that needs to stay connected to the vine. Friends, faith-filled contact with Jesus, faith-filled abiding in Jesus, it leads to an exchange of power. Are you desperate for that power? Are you hungry for his presence and the power that comes with it? Let's receive his power. You stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that you, you promise not to leave us as orphans, but to come to us. Jesus, we thank you that it's not down to us, it's down to you to pursue us. And you extend this offer to come to you. 
Lord, I pray for those who are maybe like that woman who needed their faith to be bolstered. That they, you're, you're trying to get their faith to, to come out of its shell a little bit. I pray for those who need that faith to be emboldened. I pray for those who are maybe like Jairus, who, who needed faith that has persistence and, and trust and, and non-anxiousness. We trust in you, Lord. Even when things are, are terrible, you're saying, will you trust me still? Pray, Lord, for those who are maybe like that little girl who need to be brought to life again who are dead and, and hopeless and just need you to, to touch them and say, get up, have some breakfast, be mine. And you are so powerful, Lord. You're so, you have all authority. And we just confess, Lord, that we, um, we forget that. We forget our desperate need for, for, for your power. We can sometimes think it's just a, a relationship of a powerless relationship. It's just a, a friendship that we kind of get to know you and you know us and we have this nice feeling, but there's, there's power through you. There, there's power when we come near you. Lord, we want to be a church that receives your power. We want to be a church where, where more people are being brought from death to life, where there's healing where people's faith is, is emboldened and, and given uh, persistence. Do that for us, Lord. We're asking you to do that, Lord. And that's, that's all we can do. Would you give us a, a hunger for that, Jesus? A hunger for your nearness, and, but also for your power. You are so good. You are so kind. May we see the, the kindness of you towards this suffering woman through this distressed parent, through this dead little girl. You're so good and kind. And I pray your, your, your presence with us would be um, felt by all in this room um, as we take this meal um, to celebrate what you've done for us as we remember uh, the ultimate sacrifice that you made on our behalf in order for us to come near you completely. You paid for our sins on the cross and your body was broken and your blood was poured out. May we trust you. You've given us the ultimate demonstration that we can trust you. In your name we pray, amen.